Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I, Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, for Grow Live on YouTube. Patty Armbruster is going to ask your questions. You can submit them ahead of time, and we'll be prepared with the answers. Uh, what do you want to know? We're starting out talking about selecting seeds, but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know, what pests are good or, you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, 10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube Grow live with Patty and Jackie. <laughs> Let me introduce you and we'll talk about gardening. All right. Love it. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. When you hear this, you might be seeing spring because I am out to almost March of 2021 already recorded. Woo-hoo! I have a fellow podcaster on the line. He has an online university about gardening. And he was a guest back on episode 193, September 25th, 2017. Uh, I don't know if you can still listen to that on iTunes or if you have to go to the website. You can certainly go to the website, type Greg into my search bar. I got to say, I have one of the best search bars. Um, Super easy to find it. And then, uh, and he is here to tell us what's new. So welcome back, Greg. Hey, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. It's been... uh... It's been quite a couple of years for both of us on our podcast, I think. So congratulations that you're out uh, 10, 10 weeks in advance. Yeah, well, I'm trying to serve my listeners better. And so I started telling you, I took October off because I went to ghostwriter school this summer. And I'm trying oh. to write this book called Rockstar Millennial about the amazing kids that I interview that are doing, you know, that are hardworking and just you know, trying to create green jobs and out there doing all these cool things. And like, I, but I've sh- been struggling with it. Like I sent it to a publisher, April, 2019, she wrote back to me and she's like, you have to fill out the submission form. And also you should read this book, think like an editor and do this and that. And like, I was so stuck on her submission form hmm. and my friend, Nick, who runs ghostwriter school, he answered some, like, I, I am so there. I, and then I've been stuck on chapters, the sample chapters, but I got those done this week. So I might be actually shipping that off to her. But my goal was September 1st to ship it off to her. Then it got kind of postponed. So I took October off to really focus on that. Nice. Kind of got stuck, but I had a little breakthrough after Thanksgiving. And it's kicking in. And so in the meantime, and maybe that's because I started interviewing again. So after around Thanksgiving, beginning of November, I sent out a bunch of emails. I got responses back. My calendar got booked. It's getting booked. I still have seven booked ones that I haven't done coming up in January. Nikki Jabour. Oh my goodness. I couldn't believe it. Um, She's like, I've actually listened to your podcast. I almost fell over. Isn't that always cool? Well, this doesn't happen to me very often. And I was like, (laughs) and Nikki Jabour, I I just love her. And just uh, uh, anyway, we are here to talk about you. So 
what's new with you? Tell listeners a little bit about yourself in case, because I do have, I was on Melissa Norris's show last year, and I still, like, get new listeners from being on there, like, all the time. And Isn't that nice? it, like, practically doubled my audience. Oh, it wow. was just oh. amazing. Amazing. So there's probably lots of people that have not listened to episode 193. So tell everybody about yourself, Greg. Oh, wow. Let's see here. I'm approaching 60 very quickly. And uh, as we chatted earlier, I am tired of technology and want to get out in the garden more. Uh, so I've actually started designing my business so that I can do that. And um, I started, so I've, I've had a curious life. Uh, the first third of my life, so the first 20 years of my life, uh, actually in that space, I started my first business. I used to clean service and build fish ponds here in Phoenix, Arizona. And as part of that, I was building aquaculture ponds for people where I would, you know, build in their backyard a pond that they could grow tilapia or catfish in to grow for food. So they were, and this was before I was 20 years old. It was, I started this business, interestingly enough, when I was 15. And, uh, and in the middle uh, third of my life from actually from 24 to about 44, I was in technology. Uh, that was from the age of 24 to 44, I was in technology. I owned a software company and the Apple Authorized Training Center here in Phoenix and um, some other things. Uh, but the whole notion of gardening and permaculture, which I discovered back in 1991, never got very far away from me. And um, so back in 2004, I jumped back into urban farming and started, uh, actually in 2002, I started calling my house the urban farm and we started doing tours. So on the first Saturday of every month, we would uh, put an email out to everybody that I, that I had within my reach and say, hey, I'm gonna open up the urban farm on the first Saturday of March and you can come and see what's blooming. And there were some Saturdays early on in 2002, 2003, 2004 that nobody would show up. So I would pack up everything and put it away and put it out the next month. And so we've come a long way since then. Uh, now, I mean, COVID gotten away this year, but last year, when we were doing tours, we'd have to do three to five tours on a weekend because so many would, so many people would show up and uh, want to see the place. And I can, I can do effectively, I can do about 45 or 50 people on a tour. Uh, I've had as many as 90 on a tour and it's like steering the Titanic through my yard. So my yard is called the, it's the urban farm. It's uh, a, quarter of an acre in Phoenix and it's 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. So you can imagine getting 90 people in that space was, you know, it's kind of challenging, uh, but people everybody really, being like stepping where, where the, where's the room for the plants. <laughs> that's a lot of people 45. That's intimidating. Well, yeah, you know, it would have been for me 20 years ago, it would have been intimidating, but now I, I have down my pattern, you know, the way I speak about this, about regenerative and about permaculture. Uh, you know, I can, I can talk for hours and days on this, these topics and it's just not an issue. Um, plus I've been in the house. I've lived here at the house 
at the urban farm for 31 years. And so I have stories that go on and on and on. So I'm so curious, like what's a question you feel like you get over and over? Ah, that's a great question that you're asking me. Um, one of the big questions is how do I not get overwhelmed? See, and it, and it usually shows up as a glazed look um, in somebody's eyes. And, you know, I have to wave my hand in front of their face. It's like, I know there's a lot going on here. I've lived here for 31 years because we have 80 fruit trees. We have front yard gardens. We have backyard gardens. We have chickens. We have solar panels. We've got rainwater and gray water harvesting. Uh, I've got green building stuff that I've done here. So there's so much I've done over 31 years here. Uh, what I tell people when I see that glazed look, it's like, hold on, take on one thing at a time. This didn't happen overnight. And that, you know, that's a good thing for, for your life to think about, you know, don't take on too much because what happens, and I'll throw this question out to you, what happens when you take on too much? You get overwhelmed and you don't do anything. You just quit and say, oh, exactly. this is too much. It's exactly. all failing. I can't give 100% to any one thing. Right. Right. So that's why I, um, that's why I really encourage people just, you know, just pick one thing or two things. Go be successful at it. Down the road, you know, I'm in a place now here at the Urban Farm. I've got help if I need it. And uh, you know, if I take on two or three projects at once, I can, I've got the resources to be able to pull in to get it done. But starting slow is a big, big, big thing to do. Should they follow up with what should I do first? I just had a listener in my Facebook group this morning ask me, what's the best, um, she wants to know, she doesn't have a lot of time how to build a garden. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's a good question because it really depends on what you want to do. I mean, you can put a pot of basil in a windowsill, especially in the wintertime, and, you know, raise basil in your windowsill. Here's what I tell people all the time, that the easiest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy is herbs. So grow yourself some herbs. Oh my gosh, that is completely my advice too. Like in the organic oasis guidebook, my husband and I said, like uh -huh. chapter one is about soil, but chapter two starts out, let's get growing. Let's put an herb in your window. So, yeah, so exactly. I'm so glad you said that because then <laughs> some of the feedback I got back was herbs aren't easy to grow and I can't get this to take root. <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, you know, they, so there's a little bit of a, a science and art to growing anything from seed. Uh, you know, if uh, it's a whole lot easier to go to the nursery and buy yourself a little basil plant and put it in the, in the uh, windowsill. In the in winter pot. in Montana, you can go to the produce aisle and they have those little plugs and right? those will grow in dirt. Sometimes they'll take off and they'll, you'll get one plant, you know, usually there's like four or five of them. Some of them mm -hmm. don't make it, but That'll get you through till, because what I'm always trying to do is plant that basil plant in November and from seed. And what I've learned is there's not enough daylight in November. Right. So if I'm going to do the seeds, I got to kind of wait till January, February, March. But you can go get those plugs yep. and at least have basil. And, and basil is what I love to grow. 
Yeah. You should always exactly. have fresh basil when you're cooking. Here, you know, here's another thing. Uh, we have on the front porch here at the urban farm, my sweetheart Heidi always plants out flowers on, in pots. So she's got, I don't know, there's 15 or 20 pots on the front porch. This year, rather than doing a whole lot of flowers, she did a whole lot of greens. She's got a half a dozen different types of greens growing in our pots on our front porch. Again, a really simple thing to do. So maybe that's what I should do because I just wrote in my journal yesterday morning. Can I plant lettuce in the hoop house? Is it warm enough out there? Tomorrow's the longest. The days are getting longer because my husband has these hoop houses and they're just sitting up there that he's going to use this summer, but there's nothing really growing in them now. And I was thinking, but maybe I should just put some lettuce because I am going crazy. Like lettuce, I don't know why I don't have lettuce growing. I should, but I don't. But maybe that's the solution. Just put some pots. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's, it's as simple as that. You know, one of my favorite toys slash tools is my tower garden. You know, the Juice Plus tower garden? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. We keep it going. I actually bought a light kit for it this year. I bought a used light kit for it. And so we've had it growing all summer. Because here in the desert, it's hard to grow greens on in really anywhere. So we pulled the tower garden inside. It's a bit, it's a bit more of an investment. You know, they're six or seven hundred dollars. So you can, although you can find them used online, and uh, you know, well, when you look garden. at like what I'm paying for lettuce, like I just bought two little tubs of one of arugula and one of salad mix, and mm -hmm. that was ten dollars oh. just for me. For yeah. that will last me if I'm lucky in four days, I'll get it eaten before it turns soggy. Mm -hmm. So ten dollars times you know 26 weeks is 260 bucks right there, and that's half the year. Amen. And I haven't had fresh lettuce in a long time at my house because I didn't plant it or cover it or do whatever. But yeah, it's expensive. And I don't have kids at home, and Mike doesn't eat lettuce, but I'm like part rabbit. So <laughs> a a light thing like you're talking about might you know, over the year, it doesn't take long before that's going to add up. Yeah, exactly. Plus, There's I so many those clamshells, those things come in or whatever they are, the plastic containers. Oh, that's just, that drives me nuts. Don't even get me started on, uh, on plastic. It's just, <laughs> oi. So you asked me a question a minute ago. You said, sorry, what's the first thing to do? First thing to do is observe. Start paying attention. This is straight out of permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we plug in and work in the flow of nature? I wrote this in 1996. I'm going to pause here for a moment before I say it, and then I'm going to pause after it. I wrote, our downfall as a species is that we're arrogant, is that we're arrogant enough to think we can control Mother Nature and stupid enough to think it's our job. Because, Very profound. Because as Toby Hemingway, a uh, dear friend of mine who's no longer with us, wrote Gaia's Garden, as Toby Hemingway used to say, nature always bats last. We as a human species will never figure out how to do it better than nature. And we as a human species, we fight nature all the time. We think we know how to do it better. And in 
And what I discovered in 1991 when I found permaculture was that there was something that I could call the way that I think. And the way I think is a very natural, in, in the flow of nature, cooperation and collaboration with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature? And in permaculture, the number one tenant, the number one thing is observe. Go out and pay attention. Pay attention to where the sun is in the sky on December 21st, on March 21st, and on June 21st. That'll inform you a lot about where you can grow food in your yard and where you can't. So really, you know, you just- In really... August, because where our sun is in June and where it is in August are two very different places. Exactly. Exactly. So observation is probably the single most important thing that you can do uh, in the space of your garden garden and growing area. It's so true. And, and then reading whatever your labels or your packets and knowing, does this take full sun? Does this like shade? What kind of like water, like drainage do I have here? Like my husband, I've been trying to figure out where to we've decided we're going to put the blueberries and the rhubarb together. I've been really struggling with my blueberries and where's a good place. I was like, Oh, he's just reading the other day. They like rhubarb. Maybe I should put them where the rhubarb's thriving. Oh, and my husband go. was like, that rhubarb's not thriving. It needs more sun. And I know blueberries need sun. So now we're trying to figure out where to put them both together. Cause they both kind of take a more clay acidic, acidic. soil. Yep. I think exactly. I like, so hard for me to wrap my head around that the higher the ph the less acidic the lower the ph like and i have them in like an 8.3 bed and they want a 4.5 bed so it's do we lower the ph in that bed or do we just move them now in the meantime i just talked to jm fortier who said i might should just leave them there and get them established that they've only been there for two years and maybe they need to be there for four years so i don't know um but yeah for sure observing checking out your putting things i have planted so many things in the wrong place and that's that's the beginning of it okay so you planted in the wrong place now you know what doesn't work don't do that again try something else people you know people always tell me i'm sure you get this too i have a brown thumb or a black thumb i kill plants well the only reason you're killing plants is because you're not paying attention. And if you plant some, I promise you, I tell my listeners this all the time. I promise you, I've killed more plants than you have. I've been gardening since 1975. <laughs> I've killed more plants than you have. That's 45 years ago. I'm not on purpose, but that is a learning experience. That's a, that's a place to pay attention. And one of the things in my podcast, the Urban Farm Podcast, what I do is one of my key questions for people is I ask them, what is one of your failures? And I do that not to figure out where they messed up, but to figure out what the lesson is behind the mess up. Because our best teacher is when we mess up. Oh, I totally agree. It's a, it's a great place to, to, I don't know, I'm thinking about with kids. Like one of the things that like, I always wanted to do the assessments. They'd be like, we're going to send them out to see where they are with phonics. But I'm like, this is a great learning, you know, why let the kid go? 
I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Correct them right down and help them see right down in there. Like you can mark it wrong, but don't let them go thinking that they messed up. That's the yeah, right exactly. answer. Yeah, and that they messed up and then it's gonna count against them. Like it's such a great chance to teach them right then and there. And for sure, failures. I mean, I think one thing I hear repeatedly from gardeners, you're gonna have a failure here, but your successes, you're still like, you know, things do like to grow. And I've certainly gone from brown thumb to green thumb since I started. Right. You just have to go and experiment and play with it and you know learn. Have you, I have a question for you. Have you seen a huge resurgence in, in the past year since COVID hit and people's gardening desire? Oh yeah. Well, like seeds are sold out everywhere. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, people are definitely gardening more, growing more of their own food. We did when COVID hit. So in, um, at the very beginning of March of uh, last year, 2020, I had to think a minute because 2020 was kind of a blur. Uh, <laughs> as COVID was coming, I said to my team, I said, what can we do? What, what, what is it that we can do to contribute to people being stuck at home and, you know, like that. And so uh, on March 15th, we launched 30 days of gardening classes for free. Every, we were going to do a gardening class every single day for 30 days. Well, it turned out very quickly. We, I got through 14 days of classes every day, and then I was too exhausted to be able to do them every day. So then we jumped into five classes a week, Monday through Friday. And uh, we did that for gosh, almost two months. Um, we ended up with, in 90 days, we ended up giving 63 free gardening classes online. And the the response was breathtaking. The amount of people that showed up, the community that that showed up in the chat room, we had on average a couple hundred people at a, at a class. And, you know, the the same people were showing up night after night after night. And we built this community around gardening and food that was just amazing. That was fun. So then what happened to those people? Um, well, you know, we collected their emails. They, uh, you know, we set up a, you can have the free class if you give us your emails. And the interesting thing is that they continue to show up in our events and our summits and the education opportunities that we offer. We still see them. And, um, we've, uh, this year, 2021, again, last year was a blur. Um, we're, we're launching our urban farm garden core, which is a program to, uh, really, uh, build gardeners in neighborhoods. So if Susie or Joe are in their neighborhood and they want to start a garden, they get three or four or five or six of their neighbors together and they go through our basic class on how to grow food and then they garden together and uh, so we've you know we're, we're just continuing to feed the here here's how you grow food to education space that's really what we do with urban farm you is we teach people is how it to grow core like c-o-r-p-s kind that's of like americorps or yeah, peace corps type yep 
Oh, I love that. And I love how it's getting all the gardeners together yes. instead of just being like, here, you're on your own and here, you're on right. your own. And, um, well, you know, when you think about it, when you have a party, where do people go? They hang around the food in the kitchen, uh, around the food table, you know, people come together around food. So what if we got them to come together around food in their gardens? I like that. We're We've been talking about, about starting a food truck, my stepdaughter and I, using the food my husband grows in his little mini farm. Nice. That would be an awesome thing to do. She worked for a wood-fired pizza truck for two years. So really? she has, like, she was, like, the manager. She knows, like, all the ordering. She knows, like, you know she knows a lot about you know how to run the schedules and what all the cleaning that needs done and like yeah she has a really strong background in in how to do that mm -hmm. and then i was just uh i don't know there was one that closed down <laughs> in town or they took the winter off and i just keep thinking you know this it, it was like a hamburger joint food truck and then the the pizza one where she used to work, they're not there anymore. Now, one of the things that was special about the pizza thing she worked at, it was at this brewery. Oh. And I think, I mean, they were just slammed all the time. I mean, it was just, and it was the location. And they, I don't know, something happened to the lease. And so it's not there anymore. That wood-fired pizza place just has a restaurant in town. I don't think their pizza truck is anywhere. I think it's just sitting in the guy's driveway, not being used. And so, but the big question we have is location. But we've been talking about more and more. I've been looking at food trucks like the last couple of weeks. And just, uh, I just you know, think that would be fun. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of food trucks hang out at our local farmer's markets. Just saying, you know, especially if you're doing pizzas, pizza is uh, easy farmer's market food. I was thinking, yeah, we're thinking more like not as portable. Like that was the one thing about her place. Like it was there and it didn't move. Like we're, we're thinking of like a more like we'll be there. Every, like even though it would be a food truck, like it would be in one spot. Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that would be something to look into. We're kind of like, we're pretty far away from the closest, like there's one farmer's market in town we could maybe go to once a week, mm. but we would, this thing would just be in town. Well, now, but know, that think, might be an interesting thing to find out. Can we put it where they host the farmer's market at go. the park right on main street next to the grocery? You know, that might be the idea, Mark. Uh, there Greg. you go. There you go. I'll tell you, and, and now in COVID times, food trucks are, are the bomb. And the food trucks here in Phoenix are exploding with business because, you know, they're walk-ups. And what I, interestingly, what I found in COVID, COVID times was that the food that I get at some of my favorite local restaurants I go and pick it up and bring it home. It isn't nearly as good as when I'm eating it there. But food trucks know how to make food that'll travel. So just yeah. saying. 
Plus, right across from there, there's a little ice cream place, homemade ice cream, and they have all these new picnic tables. There you like go. that, you you might have like landed on. That's amazing. You know, this is why I love how you know I've I've the Urban Farm podcast. I've got almost six hundred episodes, and I love connecting with my cohorts out there. You know, the, my peers out there that are you know we do the you and me we do the same kind of work. We're out there talking about food, getting people about excited about growing their own food, and so I'm not living in a, uh, you know, I'm not living in a in a bubble where I'm the person at the top of the ladder when I'm doing my podcast, because I'm getting to reach out and talk to people like you that are doing the same kinds of things that I'm doing. And I get to learn from them. So it's just, you know, for me, life is one I great big learning experience, right? I totally agree. And it's funny because I would not really even be thinking this way, but like I interviewed Montana had this new cottage foods bill come through because they wanted to make it easier for people to start businesses Mm -hmm. you know be able to like sell baked goods at a farmer's market or crafts bazaar and then expand and expand and like it's been one of my most downloaded interviews and people are really interested in it but i i had no idea like this is a really big way for people who are market farmers to expand by selling value-added products you know and plus like when i interviewed um these guys from young's farm in new york i actually went there with my mom one day and he kind of gave us like a just on the spot farm tour and we were looking at his peaches and he was saying we actually don't sell any of the peaches because we just can't get the peaches to harvest as a peach without you know organically Mm -hmm. but we sell like six thousand pies (laughs) six thousand peach pies at thanksgiving like they have this whole bakery thing set up and this giant like and they just do the pies which became a value-added product because they had all these peach trees but they just really they were in their third year i think of converting from a conventional farm to an organic farm and organically the peaches they just couldn't harvest them without them looking bruised and like nobody wanted to buy them but they were great for the pies like of course just like you're saying things i've learned from my podcast and i call my listeners green future growers because there is much about learning how to grow the food but they they also want to learn how to you know create green jobs or they want to start their own business or they want to get out of the office just like you and into the garden more and so it's like coming up with these solutions for them um that are that are uh that i think people like i'm curious so tell us about your front garden what did grow well this year oh my gosh um so a big part of what i do here at the urban farm is i have set the yard up like a food forest so things replant themselves every year so i let things go to seed and things replant themselves every year. So I don't actually have to do all of the work. So at any given moment, I've got five or 10 or 15 things in the front yard that are growing that I didn't plant this year. Lettuce, nasturtiums, uh, cow peas, which are a kind of uh, nitrogen fixing bean, um, parsley, basil. These are all things that just come up year after year after year. And you know, and so there's always just something to eat in the front yard. And 
So the, those things always do really do well. Do they move around or they just come back up where they are? You have lettuce like receding. My husband's really into learning more about volunteers. Yeah. We had oh, yeah. such success with his volunteer carrots this year. He's yep. just tickled pink. Yeah. All of the carrots we have growing out front right now, and there's a bunch of them, are volunteers from last year. And so carrots, parsley, basil, um, nasturtiums, cow peas, lettuce, they all come up because I let them go to seed. So then the seeds blow. Uh, in fact, a real funny story. I live on a street and there's a 40 foot street paved street in front of my house. And in the yard across the street last spring was a lettuce plant coming up in their lawn. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, again, in permaculture and in nature, things just happen. So let things be a lot. So my front yard is a lot of that. Uh, sweet potatoes are another thing that just grow wild in my front yard. Uh, but back to your question about what's what's come up. So we've been and those are also good for the soil, right? Sweet oh, potatoes are bet. a cover crop. Besides, yep, they're a great cover crop. They're building the soil by digging the soil up for you. Um, so this season we planted from seed a lot of brassicas, uh, cabbage, cauliflower, um, broccoli. So we're, you know, we're planting and growing all that from seed. Um, oh, one, another thing that is growing really well right now is our kale from last year. It survived the summer. And it is making uh, kale leaves that are just amazing. So one of the- What kind I, of I, kale? Um, there's curly leaf kale, dino kale are the two that do, are doing particularly well from a year ago. So they were planted in the early fall of 2019 and they're producing like mad right now. I'll bet they're pretty nutritious too. Do you do oh, any yeah. of that stuff with like the bricks and a refractometer or any of that to measure your uh, plant nutrition? Uh, you know, I've played with the bricks before, but what I know is that I've been organic for 31 years. We had lots of uh, or, uh, compost every year. We had a little bit of uh, azomite, which is uh, a micronutrient mineral. And, you know, things just, things just work. And they taste really well. You know, I had an, uh, well, I guess that's not the right word. They taste really good. Um, I had an interesting conversation with uh, one of my clients. So we run a, the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Education Program here in Phoenix, and people can buy fruit trees from us. And I had a customer who bought two Caracara navel trees from us and planted them. And then they, and this was just three months or two months ago. And then they went to the grocery store and they bought a couple of car car navels and took them home and ate them. And the, and the navels start in about November. So they called me and they said, uh, Greg, I think we made a mistake. We went to the grocery store and bought a car car navel and ate it. And it was not great. And I said to him, well, here's the thing. That was harvested probably before it was ripe in not very nutrient-dense soil. Come on over. I gave them three or four off of my tree, and they, they took it home and 
um, called me back fairly quickly and they said, oh my gosh, this is so different. It's so amazing. And it's because we build the soil. You know, the healthier the soil is underneath your trees and underneath your groceries, the better it's going to taste. There's the proof right in your hand, handing them the ones off of your own tree. Yeah. Well, that's the underlying theme to my show. It's all about the soil. It is all about the soil. Hugely about the soil. You know, one of the questions you like to ask, you sent me over a list of questions. How did I learn to garden organically? Cool. For me, so I started gardening in 1974 when I was 14 years old. There, tracking it back that far, I can't even tell you that there was not, that, that, that I was not gardening organically. I've always gardened organically. I think it probably came from my mom. Um, but any, you know, that way it doesn't make sense to grow non-organically. It just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, me either. I think that's why people love my show. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's what my husband says a lot, that um, his soil is is part of what has done, Mm -hmm. you know, make such a difference like our potatoes this year at at thanksgiving and and they were ones that sat in the soil longer than Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like they were so sweet and so tasty like you wouldn't really think a potato could taste that different right so and that's where we're like kind of thinking like i ended up buying a french fry maker and we're like oh we can sell these these homemade french fries because we have so many potatoes this year and just he's really mastered potatoes and carrots like they're two crops he grows really well that we feel like Mm -hmm. we could scale and then um you know i don't know it's just uh it's interesting So what didn't grow the way you thought it was going to this year? What's something uh, that didn't work out the way you thought it was going to? Oh, you know, I think the the biggest challenge we had this year is um, things that we planted from seeds that didn't germinate. And there's a couple of things that can go on there. First of all, the, they may be old seeds and and not very viable. And you can always do a germination test. Basically, you put 20 of them out on a paper towel and wet them and put another paper towel on top and let them grow and see how much they, uh, you know, how many of them germinate. That's that problem too. Yeah. So do a germination test. The other thing is that um, sometimes you just plant them at the wrong time. Uh, And they're going to come up in some cases, in a lot of cases, seeds are going to come up when it's right for them to come up. They know the seasons. Nasturtiums know that they're going to come up in my yard. The seeds sit there all summer long and all the way into the fall and sometime in November, they germinate. How they know this, I don't know. And the nasturtiums grow wild in my front yard through about May when they burn out and magically the cowpeas with, you know, the seeds are hanging out in the soil all through the winter. The cows, the cowpeas know that it's time to germinate in May and June and they, they show up. 
that's probably really good for your pollinators and beneficials too mm-hmm. because they say it's really important to have flowers that are blooming all you know as much of the year as you possibly can right and the the one of the easiest ways to do that is to let your yard kind of the yard and the seeds determine when they're going to come up i do not i was just having this conversation with my partner heidi the other day Um, i don't pull up anything until i know exactly what it is you know until i'm able to identify it now i've been doing this long enough that i can identify a half inch tall you know seedling with two two leaves on it Um, but don't pull up anything in your yard until you know what it is because magical things happen if you let it what's an example of that something magical that happened that you left there that you were going to pull up and then well i think so basil doesn't acclimatize very well to the low desert it's i mean it was a hundred and uh, over 110 degrees for 51 days this summer and so uh. basil doesn't do real well here and the the one of the pieces of magic that happened here a few years ago was that the basil started reseeding itself you don't with the heat that we have we don't necessarily always see that so it just yeah just let magic that's interesting in we're the opposite one of the reasons i keep a basil in my window cell is because we can pretty much have a frost 365 days a year there might mm. be two days mm-hmm. in two weeks in july where you're not going to get a frost but we've had frost august 8th our first frost was september 8th this year like we've had frost at the end of august like you just never know and i feel like basil is not a frost hard like it just no, anything it's 32 yeah. it's done so, there's so many other things will survive but basil is not one of them so yeah. that's part of why i just keep a basil plant in my windowsill now i don't eat a lot of pesto a basil plant i can get a pretty big basil plant growing mm-hmm. um and that's good enough for me but like i said on the flip side i i put fresh basil on everything on sandwiches right? and soups yes. like there's hardly anything i eat that doesn't get a, a, a fresh basil leaf on it if i have one yeah. Now, on my favorite thing that is a mozzarella salad. Yes. You know, tomatoes. And we have this. So there's something magical happening in our front yard right now. We have this tomato plant that we planted, I'm going to guess in February or March or April of, of uh, 2020. And it grew all spring and didn't do anything. It grew, it continued to grow all summer, which is rare with tomatoes in Phoenix and especially with the heat. And it started setting fruit uh, in September, October of 2020. And it's still setting fruit. We, you know, we covered it all winter and um, it, you know, it'll still, it, you, we keep, we keep getting tomatoes on it. And um it's it's this monster tomato plant. I I don't think I've seen a tomato plant this big before. It's three feet tall. It's two feet wide and five feet long. And it's just loaded with pear tomatoes, which are the tomatoes that we like the most. So again, when you think 
when you think that a plant is at the end of its season, think again. That was a piece of advice that was given to me a, you know, few decades ago. There may still be a lot of life in that plant. Don't pull it up until you know. Oh, and here's another one. Fennel grows wild in my front yard. You know, the herb, licorice herb. Yeah. Fennel. And it grows from seed, but also it's a bulb that grows underground. And about five or six years ago, there was this fennel growing in the front yard and I pulled it up out of the ground. And after I pulled it up, I realized that there were two other bulbs attached underneath the ground. And so what I found with fennel is that it comes up from seed, but it also comes up if I leave the bulbs in, you know, one fennel bulb in the ground next season will make five or six fennels. So don't pull, be careful what you pull up until you know what you're pulling up. And, you know, the nice thing these days is there's so much um, information in books and on the internet on this kind of stuff that you can, you know, go ask about fennel on Instagram, which we talked about earlier, you know, and get pictures of it and do searches for it. And, you know, there's so much you can learn. Just and by. one thing that I have really one lesson that I'm is I'll pull something up because I'm like, oh, my husband and I have this thing about oregano, like mm-hmm. oregano grows like a weed. It's yep. everywhere. Yep. But in trying to get back with mother nature, like twice now, I have pulled out these huge wheelbarrow full of oregano only to be like, why did I do that? Why didn't I just let it grow there? The bees were happy eating those flowers. Oh, oh my God like now what i've got to put something there it was thriving why don't i just like find some other bed where it's not thriving you know and i mean it is coming up in my garden but so what i we have room but it is a plant that the bees love and just like i'm tired of battling like just trying to be like you're gonna grow here this is where i want you to grow just because i tell you so and trying to like nourish that oregano and just like move around it yeah well you know if you want pollinators in your yard plant out a half half a dozen different kinds of herbs oregano thyme rosemary um, basil mint when they go to seed when they go to flower and to seed they the number of bees and pollinators that are around them are mind blowing. Plus most of those, uh, for me, the basil is a, you know, comes back from seed every year, but rosemary, mint, oregano, thyme, they're perennials. You plant them once um, here in the low desert, you plant them once and they come back with a vengeance every year. So just from the roots. Yeah. I do try to grow a lot of herbs and I, this year, so I planted strawberries in a bed and it just came up full of dill and calendula. And so what I did was I built a new bed next to that and tried to like, when they dried and went to seed, like push as much of that into this new bed between two apple trees that was just mm-hmm. grass and I'm hoping next year it's going to come up by reseeding full of the dill and the calendula and then my strawberries are going to thrive in the bed that I had designated for the strawberries and I'm not going to let the dill 
grow up around the strawberries this year. How about something new you're excited to try next year? I know you've been doing this for a while, but it sounds like you probably saw something. You know, I'm, I have tried so many things over the years. In fact, one of the, one of the, bonuses of our fruit tree education program is that I know exactly what trees grow here in Phoenix. Fruit trees grow and thrive and produce here. And I've I've gotten to a place where I don't experiment much anymore. I'll bring in one or two fruit trees a year that are new, but I pretty much just plant what I know works in my garden. Well, tell us more about your fruit tree education program. Mm-hmm. Like how many trees, is it like a tree nursery? Like how many trees are you, are you grafting them? Or are you starting them in pots? Like how do you propagate trees? Um, we don't. Uh, what I have is an uh, a education program. So I teach people how to effectively grow fruit trees uh, really anywhere, but primarily in the low desert. And then, oh, by the way, you can buy fruit trees from us. So I have multiple suppliers that we buy trees and plants from and resell. Uh, So we're actually not growing anything. What we're doing is we're educating. So how does that work, though? Do you order a bunch, like thinking, like, I'll probably sell 30 trees this year? like, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, (laughs) but more like 5,000. Oh my God, no way. Um, yeah, well, and I started in 1999. So this is my 21st year doing this. So we have the, oh. you know, we have the education down. We have the the pieces and parts down. We know pretty much what we're going to sell. Uh, so I actually place my order for trees that they bring us in January. I place my order in April for the following January. Oh my goodness. So, you know, and... And so then it becomes my responsibility to make sure that all of them have new homes. And as I said, we've done, as I said, we've been doing this for 21 years. So it, you know, we just have the, we have the system down. That is a lot of trees you've planted (laughs) over the years. That's awesome. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms, and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood, and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um, 
And they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company, growers.co, check it out, get something for your favorite gardener. Definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor. Do you belong to a CSA? I bet you want to get them a Christmas present this year. It doesn't have to be on time. I know it might be late when you're hearing this, but make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So, I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, Greg, we're already at getting to the root of things. So do you have a least favorite activity you got to force yourself to do? Um, in the garden? No, it's sitting in front of the computer. <laughs> that counts. Yeah. How about on the flip side, what's your favorite activity? No, oh, I have gotten down how to make compost. And uh, for those of you out there that are experimenting with compost and have mastered compost, you know that it's, uh, it can be challenging. Uh, so much so that I have two neighbors that bring me their kitchen scraps. Plus, periodically, uh, I have a restaurant that I go get 10 buckets of food waste a week from. And uh, I've, gotten, I've gotten really good at making compost. So what's the secret to that? Because like I was telling you, in our Get It Go Oasis guidebook and in our free garden course, like... The first thing is making healthy compost, making healthy soil, building compost, cover crops. Um, what's the third way? I'm going blank. Uh, vermiculture, I think. But anyway, mm -hmm. like I've had so many people be like, I don't want to build compost. It's icky. You shouldn't start with this. Shouldn't be chapter one. It should be somewhere else. And like, do you get a lot of kickback in making compost? No. Um I what I have what I call my regenerative composting system here at the Urban Farm. Um, so I'm not a great big fan of the word sustainable. Sustainable simply sustains the mess that we've created in our culture. Uh, it puts systems in place that that help clean things up a bit, but it simply just sustains the mess we've created in my world. So regenerative is how nature works. Nature works in a circle, and um, humans are, you know, it's, it's a linear line that humans create and, you know, create. And that's, that's a whole long conversation that if we want to do a whole podcast on that, that's, that's where we would do that at. But I have created my regenerative composting system here at the house. And basically what it means is that I've got multiple ways that we compost. I use uh, 
black soldier flies for composting food waste. I use worms for composting food waste. And I use uh, chickens for composting food waste. All three of those basically contribute to the health of my soil here at the urban farm. And then, and only then, does the leftover stuff go into the compost bin where I actually do thermophilic hot composting. And then the thermophilic hot composting makes, makes amazing soil that goes into the gardens that makes more amazing food. Uh, and this, you know, and the circle starts again. Mm. So it's, uh. you know, it's a process. And, you know, for those people out there that want to start composting, uh, the simplest way to compost is, well, I'll give you two, two examples is what I call pit composting. So you have a bucket full of kitchen waste. You go out in your yard or in your garden and you dig a little hole, you pour it in and cover it up and let the worms do the work. Uh, and that is a very effective, very simple, uh, low input way to garden or to compost. Uh, the other way to compost, if you just have kitchen scraps, is get yourself a worm bin. Let the worms do the composting. You know, people want to do this thermophilic hot composting, uh, and it's not easy. You need a, you know, for a, a composting bin, you need, ideally, you need a, a 30 cubic feet, which is, you know, just call it a cubic yard is three feet by three feet by three feet cube in order to make it go. And that is a lot of material. Rarely do I ever see anybody that has that much material to be able to compost like that, so. Yeah, uh, well, that's what I'm always looking for, things to add to ours. And like the one I've been struggling with is browns because we don't have a lot of leafy trees. Yeah. And it's so weird, our apple trees still have the brown leaves hanging on them. They never fell off the apple trees yet. Right, still apple, apple trees I call so semi deciduous. What does that mean? They, they, deciduous trees completely lose their leaves. So peaches, apricots, plums, mulberries, grapes, berries, they all lose all of their leaves. Here in the low desert, um, apple trees lose part of their leaves. So. I have I just not noticed it before it seems like this year like their leaves were green forever and then they never fell off and um so that's been my challenge with the compost is finding browns to put in it like we can make in the heat of summer we can make a batch compost in like two weeks at my house because we have so many grass clippings mm -hmm. that we put in it we have a pretty big yard and just between our food scraps and then i scored a bunch of coffee grounds this year we've scored eggshells from oh, restaurants nice. like yeah. we've made compost lately i've been putting like straw that my chickens are pooping on in there that's been just amazing mulch mm -hmm. um and so I guess that straw this year is working pretty good, but in other years I've struggled with browns. But yeah, so I think uh, browns exactly. I think compost is one of the easiest and best gardening jobs. Uh you kind of already told us the best gardening advice you've received. Did you want to say anything else there? No, we're good. 
Okay. How about a favorite tool? If you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? That'd be tough after all those years. Oh, it is. It is because I have three or four, but I would say that the sharp shooter shovel. Um, first of all, it's a, a, a alliteration, sharp shooter shovel. Um, it is a <laughs> I like that. five inch wide, 18 inch long shovel. And I actually have a version of it with a solid metal handle that is, that is uh, welded to the, the shovel blade. So, um, you know, I can do some pretty heavy duty work with, with that. Um, but I love my sharpshooter shovel. What's your favorite recipe to eat from the garden? You know, at any given time in the winter, I can harvest a, an entire uh, um, salad out of the yard. And so there's the arugula and the lettuces and, and the Swiss shards. Uh, but then there's the nasturtiums. So nasturtiums are kind of uh, radishy tasting. You can eat the leaves and the seeds and the flowers. Uh, and they grow wild in my yard. Then there's oxalis, which is this clover looking thing that tastes lemony. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I have a mandarin quat, which is a, cit a citrus like uh, fruit that's ripe in the winter. And the skin is sweet and the inside is tart. And I julienne that really thin and throw it in the salad, and it just it makes uh, it makes for an a, an amazing flavor. yeah with the nasturtiums in there and all oh, those yeah. different greens. That sounds like you don't even need to put salad dressing on it, right? Um, exactly. I'm so fascinated by like your nasturtiums that are coming back on their own. I need to find some of those. Yeah, well, you have to you know you have to find what works in your space. You know, and nasturtiums may very well work in your space. Well, we grow nasturtiums, but I think only when we grow them every year. Like, I don't know of any. I want to say Mike had one nasturtium coming back in his mini farm, but I didn't have any in the garden beds by the house this year. Yeah. And he didn't plant any. Well, for you're some in a real, real, real cold environment, right? Yes. That's not going to affect the seeds. It's not going to kill the cold. Even deep freezes aren't going to kill the seeds. Um, so that that's not an issue. Um, see, we don't, uh, you know, if we get down to 32 degrees once this uh, in a winter, um, that's a lot. So um, it doesn't get super cold here. Yeah, we got snow this morning. Uh, so when you do have to force yourself onto the internet, where do you find yourself surfing around? Oh, I don't do that. I stay away from it. <laughs> I don't right. even do. I don't even do Facebook much anymore. Um, I really got off of social media this year. I'll yeah. tell you that I've been struggling to get back. Uh, I've been. I don't know. It's. It is what it is. Uh, I love being able to connect with people. Like the coolest thing about the election was how many of my guests reached out to me on social media this year. Mm. And just, I just felt this huge amount of support coming from people in other countries and just my mm -hmm. listeners and just 
that part was really nice but just too many arguments and and the teaching thing was was a little tough on me yeah. uh because i knew so many teachers that were just terrified to go back to work and oh yeah, yeah um, exactly in a lot of teaching facebook groups anyway how about a favorite book got a book to recommend oh absolutely ishmael by daniel quinn changed my life forever when i read it in 1992 i've uh read everything by daniel quinn and um i i had we tentatively had him scheduled for my podcast the year before he passed away and then we couldn't make it happen so unfortunately Mm -hmm. i didn't get him um to share on my podcast but uh uh, it's an amazing book. It's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. The gorilla is the teacher. And he talks about how our food system has changed over the past 10,000 years and gone from a food system where food was free to a food system that uh, where food is owned and seeds are owned. And so it really, you know, especially early on in my life, like I said, I read it in 92 it really was instrumental in how I, how I think. His philosophies are deeply embedded in, um, in everything I do. What about you? Are you going to write a book? <laughs> Maybe when I retire. Um, interestingly enough, I uh, have recently started digging around and putting all of my content that I've written over 30 years in one place. And I was thinking the other day, my gosh, there's enough there for a book. What do you mean your content that like digging around, like things you've written on paper or like things you've no, written on the computer, on the computer. Yeah. blog posts Remember, and things? Yeah. I, I started my first computer business in 1984 and I have uh, content that I've written uh, back to the early 90s on my computer and so I've started opening up old word files and trying to see what is out there and in the in the realm of what I written I've written and I've written for multiple magazines over the years and um, I had a column in Phoenix magazine for a couple of years and a column in Edible Phoenix for six years and and so you know there's all that content that has already been written that very well could be a um, a book so yeah good question thanks for uh, spurring me on <laughs> well i'll tell you that ghostwriter school was a game changer for me wow i've been really struggling with like for years how to turn all these interviews you know i've always just transcribed the show notes straight out because i really struggled to like try to and then even still with the rockstar millennial book like i was still struggling to make the interviews into something people wanted to read and how to put it in a cohesive story and get the table of contents right and like i originally envisioned it being like all right i'm gonna do two people born in this year and two people born in 1981 and two people born in 1982 but then after going through the ghostwriter school i kind of realized it should be like more like moms and dads and market Mm. farmers and scientists Mm. and nutritionists Mm -hmm. and categories that way based on then and then i don't know i kind of had to go through this like total shift and i started writing this actual novel that was like completely different 
and but then somehow writing that like i've gone back and like now their stories are starting to flow and it starts out with like one person talking about vermiculture and then moving into somebody talking about like cover crops and then another parent talking about you know that and it, it it's it's kind of starting to flow and i sit like i managed to get the table of contents and this all came from the ghostwriter school outline like he like he's mm. very good about like what question you know what are your people struggling with and then i have all the questions like the people have asked me in my facebook group and people have asked me in free garden course like over the years and and the and the, you know i ask everybody what's your challenge so i have 350 gardeners who have given me their challenge and then like okay well this person answers this question and this person answers that question and it kind of like it's all so hopefully I'll get it submitted. I don't know. I feel like I need to like refine the chapter, you know, but at least I have, I don't know, 5,000 words written. The, the proposal itself, I think is probably its own 5,000 words. It's 17 pages, but I guess <laughs> that's normal to submit for a nonfiction book. It's your proposal and your outline generally. And then they look at that more so than even, your chapters and then right i don't know so i'm getting there it's it's a big g martin fortier told me the other day that his oh yeah his book tour was five years long he was <laughs> like i was so done talking about that book I was done, but <laughs> right? he also sold two hundred thousand copies so exactly um yeah he's really changing the world he is just amazing and just i love he's got a new venture he started where he's selling tools and farmware and and an online his master class and he's got mm -hmm. a magazine coming out like a printed magazine and just he's really i mean i feel like he's been one of the biggest changers in the world yeah. for how we eat and how we care for our planet anyway greg you're probably like jackie we've been on the phone for well over an hour so ready for my final question anything we didn't talk about that you really wanted to mention no i think we're good okay if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world what would it be for example is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment either locally nationally or on a global scale oh my god that is a question I um, that i could go on for days about <laughs> and I, I'm going to track back to what I've been saying for two decades. The most important thing that we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own. Figure out how to grow something in your yard, in your windowsill, in your pots on your patio that you can eat. Just, just do that. Because uh, I've been saying for almost two decades, uh, we have a three-day supply of food in any grocery store. And we, and, and to take that a little further, I think we have a three hour supply because once people get a whiff of that, there's going to be shortages, the grocery store shelves are going to empty. And the wicked thing about me having talked about this for the past 15 years, we saw it happen last year. I was just going to say, we just saw that happen. We're still yep. seeing empty yep. grocery shelves. Yep. I went to a store the other day, first thing in the morning, and they hadn't put the produce out yet. And there was like nothing, very little to choose from. Yeah, right. Exactly. So figure out how to grow your own food. We can teach you how at the urban farm uh, with our urban farm classes. You can get a uh, 
go to, through the Master Gardener program, uh, you know, read a book, watch some videos online, but I don't care how you do it, you know, support us if you, you know, if you want to at our free summits, that helps us continue doing the work that we're doing in the world, but just figure out how to grow your own food. And I really loved what you said earlier about there's not really any such thing as a brown thumb or a black thumb. Like right. your failures are just teaching tools and you can really get that. And I am certainly an example of somebody who has learned how to grow food. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for sharing with us, Greg. Tell Ooh. everybody how they connect with you. Ah, so the easiest way to find me is at urbanfarm.org. And, um, you know, it's a website that's been up for over 20 years and there's 20 years of content there. And we have the Urban Farm podcast there and our online classes under education. And yeah, urbanfarm.org is the best way to go. Your podcast is Urban Farm Podcast? Urbanfarmpodcast.com. Although it's also at urbanfarm.org. There's a tab at that website that says podcast. Um. I forgot what I was going to ask you. Okay. Well, have a wonderful day, Greg. Happy oh, holidays. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate uh, being able to chat with you and catch up after a couple of years. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. When did you launch? How do you have 600 episodes in the bank? How many do you put out? Two a week or something? So we launched in November of 2015. So we're coming up on our, what, sixth year. The first three years, we put out three episodes a week. Oh. That was uh, that was hard. The second uh, couple of years, we put out two episodes a week, and that was much more manageable. But uh, in 2019, I looked at the cost because you know podcasts aren't free, and um, <laughs> you know it's, it cost me a hundred. And $68 per episode to put out a, to put out a podcast. And when you start doing, you know, the math on that times a uh, hundred episodes a year, 102 episodes a year, it just, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, daunting. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, we went to one episode a week uh, and that seems to be financially manageable and uh, manageable on our time. Uh, I would love to this year and early, into early next year get back to two episodes a week because I, I like engaging people there, but that's how we did it. Well, I used to tell podcasters, or when I talk to podcasters, I often mention that you get just as many downloads for a five minute Friday episode as you do for a full long interview and a five minute Friday episode where you're just sharing something from your life or tip from, you know, you probably have, it wouldn't, it probably take you four minutes to do two a five days to record 52 <laughs> tips. Like think about it. If you made a list of 52 tips of you just talking in that Friday episode and boom, there's your second episode a week that you might find out your listeners like just as much. I mean, if you look at my downloads, any time that I have spoke and it's just me, whether it's a four uh -huh. minute, hey, it's August 21st. This is what's growing in the garden this week or my garden challenges or just me talking. They always are the top downloaded episodes. Like they rarely don't get an episode and I All probably right. should do more of those, but I mm -hmm. don't. But 
that might be the answer to solution to hit, you know, and then they won't cost you maybe $168. Right. Yeah. I don't know how you spend $168. And I feel like going back to my family and friends, like my brother is just appalled that I spend $77 a month on my website. And I'm like, are you kidding? That is right. dirt cheap. And I got, yeah. I get that rate because I got in as a founder price. I have no ads. I have an incredible search bar, a great tech support team. Um, and what's the other bonus? And it would cost me $40 to host my podcast on Libsyn anyway. So I'm really right. only paying $30. And in the beginning, I went with them because I could not figure out how to put an email capture on my website for the life mm -hmm. of me. Now, oh, my right. whopping 500 email website list <laughs> does nothing to prove that point. But, you know, they helped and someday it's going to get there anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Craig, thank you so much for sharing everything with us oh, today and just being a wonderful guest and 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 just keep doing all the great work that you're doing for our planet and your community and your neighborhood and and people and everybody check out listen to his podcast leave him a review on itunes or whatever app you're listening iTunes, to yep. so more people can listen to it and um, check out his courses. He's got lots of great information there. I know it comes in every price range from free to, you know, you could probably get it. Did you say there's like a master course where you can get a like regular certificate or something even? And I'm working on that. That'll be later on this year for uh, in farming. Nice. Yeah. We'll have a, and if you go to Arizona, because you know, once this is over, we're all going to be traveling. I Again, I can't. Yes. This is the other thing I keep telling my stepdaughter. I'm like, I may never eat. I might not eat at home for like a year after this. Like, I just miss eating out and stuff. And so I think when we're all done, it'd be nice to have more. I think people are going to go places. So when you if you go to Arizona, make sure you put Greg's farm, on, urban farm, on your trip, and you go to that farm tour. Love it. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. Freegardencourse.com. Uh, Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a pro small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, Eat healthy, nutritious food with minimal labor. Um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms. And maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, there's checklists. There's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Hey listeners, I know it's been a while since I mentioned this, but if you are a fan of the Organic Gardener podcast and you'd like others to be able to find it and learn from my amazing guests, um, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes. It just really helps others find the show and learn just like you and me. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. It's actually really easy to do once you get to iTunes. So, um, and you can get there right from your podcast app. Uh, you can get there online. If you're on um, the website, you can just Google Organic Order Podcast at iTunes or go to my website and there's links to connect you there. 
Um, but it would just really, really help if we could get a few more reviews on iTunes. So if you could leave a review for the show, uh, I would really appreciate it. And so would our planet. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local.